we're going to get going here. Diana was asking me, uh, and I forgot to mention it, so I'm glad she said something, but, but uh, as you guys have heard of what's going on in Israel, uh, it's very bad. And you know we have a missionary we support over in Israel. Now, he had planned to be in the States at this time by himself, and so he's in Texas. His family's still back at home in Israel. Don't ask me where it is. I don't know the geography. So he's told me, but I couldn't tell you where it is. If it's not Jerusalem or Tel Aviv or something I've heard of before, I don't have any idea. Um, so I reached out to him. He sent me an email Saturday morning. I think that's when it started. Or Friday night it started, Saturday morning. And just let me know. You're like, they're under attack. It is bad. Um, his son had just joined the IDF, which is the Israeli Defense Force. So he just graduated. Remember, they, they're citizens there now. And um, they were told to stay in their house, and he was told to stay home with his family. So that's good that there's a strong male presence that's got some training there, but it's very, very bad. Now, to my understanding, I've not heard back from him today. I did reach out to him this morning, but he's, uh, he's, he's doing services. He's traveling around the country right now. And um, he, they, where they are is not in the heat of it, which is good, uh, but it's bad everywhere. And he said, whatever you guys are seeing and hearing, it's 10 times worse in person. Um, that it's, you, you've got to understand there is, there is no moral compass for what's going on. It is indiscriminate killing and raping of women, children, anybody, elderly, uh, and then displaying it proudly. Remember, they believe they're doing the Lord's work. Uh, it's a spiritual battle. It is not, it makes no sense why a place the size of New Jersey is such, there's such turmoil there outside of it's a spiritual battle. Remember what we talked about in Revelation chapter 2, how where the throne of Satan is? And Pergamos. This is the type of stuff. This is where you've got to be thinking biblically. And so, yeah, war is bad and, and stuff, but we have no idea. Um, I've seen videos. I've seen pictures. I've had stuff that was sent to me. It is horrible. Uh, I would not encourage you to go look for it unless you really, really want to see some really, really bad stuff. So just know that. So we're going to pray. Um, and so, Diane, thank you for the reminder. Um, I told her I'd intended to do it. I just didn't write it down. And sometimes I get on my notes and I forget. So let's pray right now for those. Father, we just lift up all of those in the middle of this skirmish and we thank you for your hand upon Raleigh's family first and foremost people that we know and love that you're protecting them that you're guiding them that you've given Raleigh peace while he's here in the states away from his family that he'll be able to get back home to his family or his family here whichever way uh, it doesn't matter Lord but we thank you that you are there with them Lord and we just lift up what's going on and we thank you that your hand is upon that nation as they're being attacked I thank you that you are shutting down the attack, that you're standing as, as a part of the promise that you made to that nation, that they are still your people, and they still are in a covenant with you, albeit not the new one, that they are in covenant with you, Lord, and for every believer that's, that is a, a fulfilled Jew, a born-again, messianic Jew, Lord, I just thank you that they are being guided by the Holy Spirit to be led to safety, but Lord, I think ultimately that you will be glorified through all of this and that your plan will be done. So, Lord, we are so grateful for your promises, and that's what we stand on in a time like this. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Just be thinking about those guys. I'll keep everybody abreast of what's going on. I'll try to post any updates I can on social media just for you all. Uh, it's just a lot easier to get word out to everybody. So, anyway, just be praying. So, with that, we're going to pick up where we kind of left off last week, and we're going to do something that I don't often do in a setting like this, but I felt like it was important because... We've been talking about this in his image series and what that even means, and it's important, but we're being able to answer those fundamental questions, who God is, who we are in relationship to him, and who my enemy is. 
And when you start to recognize the different things, you start to recognize the schemes of the enemy. We're not, we're not ignorant of his devices, is what Paul said. So understanding that, that Satan's goal isn't just simply to get you to sin for sin's sake. It's not sin, you know, because when you're a born-again believer, sin does not make you unrighteous. In the Old Testament period under that covenant, you could become unclean, but unclean and unrighteous are not one and the same. There was a thing that they could do to become clean so they could be in the presence again, but for us, we can't become unclean. We can, however, sever a relationship. And the possibility is, is you could consciously choose to walk out of that covenant relationship with God. So not necessarily a once saved, always saved thing. But you won't just sin your way out of it. It'll be a decision that you've made. I do not want what God has given me. Now, you, when I say things like that, you've got to understand what sin does. It does create a separation between us and God emotionally. Not necessarily spiritually, but we're not in tune to Him. In Isaiah 59, verse 2, it says, Your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear. When you look throughout the entirety of Scripture, you see what the enemy has done from the very beginning. He tried to separate, draw Eve away from the will of God. Did God really say? Began to get her to question it, and of course, Adam follows suit. You see in the temptation that Jesus was drawn attempted to draw away from God if you will fall down and worship me I'll give you everything that you see here false prophets were intended to draw people away from God you had Balaam and the false teachers and you had all these things that we have gone through quite a bit because I want you to see it I don't want you to just take my word for it because I think that's a lot of the problem we have in modern day churches you just take the person who's standing behind the pulpit's word for it We don't search the scripture to see if what they say is true. That's why I spend so much time not only rehashing things to go to the next part, but also using an enormous amount of scripture so you catch the context of what's being said. I also try very hard that if I'm giving you an opinion, to state that I'm giving you an opinion, your opinion might be different. That's cool. If you want to be wrong, I'm okay with that. But I try to make it very clear as much as I can. So when we see that, and then we see that interesting part of the story with the parable of the soils, with with Mark chapter 4 and Luke chapter 8, about how the temptation, the cares, and the riches of this world and the pleasures of life draw people away from God so that they produce no fruit. It begins to answer the question of the why factor. Do you realize that you being a disciple of Christ wasn't intended to get you to heaven? Getting to heaven, and, and, and frankly, a better way to state that, is spend eternity with God, is the byproduct of being a disciple of Jesus. Never once did they do altar calls. Never once did they say, hey, listen, if you were to walk out of your, uh, your hut today and walk in front of a bus, where would you spend eternity? Those questions were not being asked because that wasn't the point. Becoming a disciple of Jesus was meaning that you were now created in the image of God to be an imager and a representative to do His work on this earth. And we were endued with power from on high to do the very thing and greater things shall we do because He went to the Father. So we are here to represent God. Heaven or eternity in the presence of God is the byproduct of that. You guys with me so far? I want to make sure that's abundantly clear because that's not how we talk about it. We always talk about, are you going to heaven or hell? And these are all well-meaning people. And it is true. I mean, we do make a choice. 
So when the enemy is coming against us to tempt us, it's to get us off track, to make us begin to walk away from God a millimeter at a time. You don't go from somebody who is just full of the Holy Ghost and power, and they are just loving God, and then on Sunday, and I mean intensely, legitimately, and then they wake up Monday morning and go on a shooting spree. That just doesn't happen. Now, it may happen eventually at some point down the road. It may happen. But it's not overnight. It's a millimeter at a time. Let me give you an example of this. And this is a little bit extreme, but these are people that I knew. There was a a couple in our church when I was growing up. They were worship leaders. And they were good. And they were very active in the church and stuff. And they moved away. And um, when they moved away, they said they couldn't find a good church to go to. Now, that's possible, right? I get that. But there is a reason that we gather together. Even if it's not everything that you'd want it to be, there is a reason. Now, part of the reason they couldn't find a good church is they didn't like the music. Okay? We've all been there. Some of you might be there right now. Just keep your comments to yourself. But, like, it could be something as simple as that. Sometimes it's theologically. And I'm talking about if you get a church that maybe you just don't agree on every little line on it, but there's circumstantial stuff. It's not a big deal. You just deal with it. But they decided that they were just not going to go to church anymore. And they tried to do a church in their house and do a home church, but never really turned into much. I mean, sometimes that's just an excuse to not go. You know, slowly by slow, uh, and day, day by day, they just kind of decay and decay and decay. And this is a little extreme when I'm going to tell you this last part. But in about a four to six year period from that time frame, they ended up getting divorced and he came out as gay. Now, I know that's extreme. So, I just so you're clear, not going to church does not necessarily mean you're going to come out of the closet. I'm just, I want to make sure everybody's on the same page. What I'm saying here, it was this slow decay where they took things on their own strength to do things outside of the way God would want them to. They were tempted by the enemy. Well, that's not good enough for you. You can't do it. You, and I'm just showing you this as you see this slow slow decay so it's not overnight there are always signs that you begin to see when somebody is starting to disfellowship with God one of the first things is they start to disfellowship from his body which is the church where they've maybe been a faithful attender now they become unfaithful they don't make it all the time maybe they've been there at every midweek service and then they they kind of slowly stop going they start missing things and it becomes less important why does that happen well sometimes it's as simple as families inviting you to all of these activities because if you have family that aren't born again believers is church a priority no not at all they may attend a church once in a while but it's not a priority so therefore it's no big deal hey we'll plan everything at 11 o'clock on a sunday and expect you to be there and so maybe it's that kind of slow decay or if you have kids and they get involved in sports what's going on every day and night of the week some stinking sport it's awful it's awful let me say it one more time it's awful but you make decisions And so this slow fade begins to happen and to the point where you start seeing it. There's always signs. You can start watching it and it gets worse and worse and worse. But why does the enemy work this way? What caused him to do that? Well, I read this to you guys a couple of weeks ago. But in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 14, it says, You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfecting your ways from the day that you were created till iniquity was found. And you, by the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within. And you sinned. I cast you out as a profane thing. 
out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you a covering chair from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they may gaze at you. So the abundance of the trading, it simply means that he was taking something that rightfully belonged to another. We believe, or it has been stated, this cannot be proved biblically, this is speculation, that he was some form of a worship leader in heaven. And it's only believed that because his body seems to have been made with some instruments. One of these days, I'm assuming we're going to look at him, and I think we're all going to be surprised that he doesn't have red horns and a pointy tail, and he's red and a pitchfork, okay? But at something along those lines, whatever it was, he certainly, being an archangel, would have been around the throne of God, and he was taking something that belonged to God. You became filled with violence. Where? Within. He didn't start a war. He became filled with violence within, and he sinned. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details of this, but you can watch that take place in Genesis chapter 3. Because imagine if you were created with this beauty that it is described with him in between Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, and all this splendor, and you are one of the upper up angels, and suddenly you create man who cannot do what you do, and you give him authority to the earth, and you give him dominion, and you let him name everything. Maybe there was jealousy. We don't know. But we watch what he did. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. And then you sin. I cast you to the ground. He went there and he tempted. He took God's pinnacle, which he believed he should have been, and got them to disfellowship with God. What was he seeking? What belonged to God? He was seeking worship for himself, which led us into what we talked about last week. As I told you guys, is we have to be so cautious in the world that we're in. You see, we're in a world that we are not of. And when I talk about some of these things, and this is where it's a little bit different than what I would necessarily normally do, but I want you to see it for yourself, is that there are things that give regard to the enemy, regard to Satan, that is hidden in plain sight. When I say that, hidden in plain sight, it's becoming less and less hidden. But sometimes you've got to know what to look for. I read in Leviticus 19 last week, verse 31, it says, Give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Well, what is a medium? Well, a medium is what we would consider a psychic, an occultist of some sort. A familiar spirit is something demonic. In short, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Again, you shall say to the children of Israel, whoever of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel, who gives any of his descendants to Moloch, he shall be surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I will set my face against that man, and I will cut him off from the people, because he has given some of his descendants to Moloch to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. And if the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man when he gives some of his descendants to Moloch, and they do not kill him, then I will set my face against that man and against his family, and I will cut him off from his people. And all who prostitute themselves with him to commit harlotry with Moloch. And the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person to cut him off from his people. Now there's a lot here, but let me quickly explain this. To give one's descendants to Moloch is to dedicate them to Moloch. And not only dedicate them, but also sacrifice them to Moloch. Now that may sound like a lot, but look what he says in verse 4. If the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man, when he gives some of his descendants to Moloch, and they do not execute him, would be a better way to say this, 
then I will set my face against that man. That means that if you see it and you do nothing about it, I will come against you. So it's not good enough to just like, okay, that guy's over there and he's doing bad stuff. No, we need to weed this man out who is sacrificing his children to Moloch. Now that may seem extreme, but let me show you this picture. I showed you guys this before. This is Moloch, okay? There's several different versions. It wasn't only one place that the idol was created. You can see the fire lit around. You see them putting the child into the hands of Moloch. They would put him in the hands. As the fire got louder, the, the, it would heat up because it was made of brass. And the child would simply cook, and it would roll back and forth, screaming in agony. And the drummers would play louder and louder and louder to drown them out. It's terrible, terrible things that are happening. Here you can see another version of this where they've got these chambers and they would put not only a child here but other different sacrifices and animals and different things and they would light the fire inside of Moloch and it would heat up that way. It doesn't sound good. Y'all, you're sitting here thinking, this is disgusting. Nobody would ever do that. It's happening today. We are seeing a holy war take place in Israel and let me tell you something. They are sacrificing people to Allah. You have to understand this is nothing new. We have been sheltered from it. But this is happening around us to this day in one way or another. It's actually beginning to become a little more mainstream. We'll come back to that in a little bit. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9. It says, When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, so the Israelites are getting ready to go to the promised land, you shall not learn to follow the abomination of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, a soothsayer, one who interprets omens, a sorcerer, one who conjures spells, a medium, a spiritist, one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives, uh, drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God for these nations which you will dispossess listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. Now, in short, this is anybody who contacts the supernatural realm. There is condemnation. These were pro uh, professional fortune tellers. When you drive down the street, if you ever go to Branson, you'll see it there. There's psychic things that you can go to. It's $5 to read your poem. All of that kind of stuff. And you may think it's harmless fun. What did God just say? Do not do it. When it talks about passing through the fire, it is literally talking about making your children be sacrificed to these gods. These gods, albeit they were idols, were real creatures in one way or another. They were supernatural beings. These were not stupid people. We've got this mindset that they were just out making this stuff up. I don't think so. When we talk about, when we're thinking biblically, when we talk about supernatural powers, principalities of the air, all of that, there's something to that. I won't pretend to understand all of the dynamics of it, but when you have a biblical worldview, you take off the lenses of which you were raised with a whitewashed Bible where there is no weird parts, you start to see these things. You see, Genesis 6 is weird. How angels come down and take human wives and make giant babies. It's weird, okay? That is why we've created this entire theory that, well, they weren't angels, they were the sons of Seth, and they took the daughters of Cain. It's nonsense. The Bible says what it means, it means what it says. 
Which is funny because we reject that as being possible. And we're like, well, no, that's just too weird. That can't be what it means. But, you know, floating axe heads, talking donkeys, and virgin births. No problem. It's a cornerstone, baby. People who rise from the dead. Oh, yeah, that's possible. But this other stuff, not possible. Listen, don't ask me how the mechanics of it work. I have no idea. I'm just telling you that it's there. What did he tell them to do? Reject it all. It doesn't say that it's not possible. He says, don't do it. Drive these people out. We saw King Saul go into a medium and bring up a, from a ghost pit Samuel. That means it is possible, but you don't do it. We saw King Josiah who took over at eight years old and at 18 when they found the book of the law in the temple after Manasseh had completely, completely turned the nation away from God. And he begins to not only drive out all of the, the bad things, crushing all the high places, all the things that were sacrificed, but get rid of those priests, all of the people, and bring them back to God. He, there would be nothing to do with any false god worship in the nation of Israel underneath King Josiah. Do you think that that is something that you and I should maybe consider? We should want nothing to do with the occult and those who practice it. You guys with me so far? Now, you may be sitting here thinking, well, I don't know anybody that is sacrificing children. You're probably right. And you may be thinking, I don't know anybody who is like reading uh, uh, poems or doing any of this other stuff. You might be right. But you certainly know of people, you just don't recognize it. You have to begin to keep your eyes open to the things of this world. Because the signs are all around you. So I told you guys last week, I'm going to show you this today. But there's a statement, sold your soul to the devil. I know you've heard it before. It's not an unfamiliar thing because it's in movies and it's in books. But I'm actually going to show you some of the things that have been said through the years about this. This is why this is going to be a little different. Now, can you actually sell your soul to the devil? Probably not. Because nothing can be, uh, there is nothing that can't be redeemed by God. But can you believe it? Sure. Is there something about it that may give you supernatural power? Because that's essentially what they're looking for. It's a possibility. But the thing is, is that there is no contract that you sign where Lucifer shows up and says, now make sure you read the terms and conditions before you click, yes, I agree. There's nothing like that per se. But there is something to it that has been happening throughout the U.S. and other parts for many years and even before that. But I want to show you a couple of verses that may give some credence to this idea, okay? The first one is in 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 25. This is dealing with Ahab and Jezebel. Now look what it says. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. Now it's interesting that it says the word sold, isn't it? Now what stirred him up? His evil wife. That means you need to marry right. Step one. Do not be unequally yoked. That's step one. But it doesn't use that phrase very often that they sold themselves to it. It often says that they did it or whatever. But it's interesting that it said he sold himself. He rises to power. He has a mighty kingdom with Jezebel at his side. Is there something to it? I don't know. Maybe. I'm just giving it as a possibility. Let's look at Matthew chapter 16. This is from Jesus. Verse 26. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange 
for his soul. It's an interesting phrase, and when you're thinking about this idea of selling your soul, okay, is that maybe what was being referenced to that? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. What I'm going to show you today is it does actually happen, and it does seem to empower people on this earth, okay? So just bear with me, because I'm going to show you guys some different things. We're going to start with a man named Robert Johnson. i got a picture of him. Now, is anybody familiar with the name Robert Johnson? You are, but you aren't. Okay? He was a blues musician. He's considered the, I guess, the king of the blues and the king of, of, of rock, honestly. He started he's back in the, I think, 20s or 30s. I forget. He ended up dying at age uh, 27. But, as the story goes, and it's believed to be a legend, you can look this stuff up because it's a well-known legend that is out there. Legend. Okay? But, he was a man, and uh, he was a harmonica player. And he would hang out in these blues clubs all the time. And he so desperately wanted to play with them. But at that point, they didn't really consider the harmonica as anything skillful like the guitar. And there's a story about a man, I think his name was Sun, I'm going to say Sun House, but don't quote me on that. But I remember reading about this years ago. And uh, he was a well-known blues musician at this time. And every time that the band would take a break, they'd go outside and smoke a cigarette, do whatever they were doing. Robert would jump up there and start plunking around on the guitar. And the people would come out and say, can you go in there and make him stop? Like, this noise is unbearable. And, he, and there's a recording of him saying this. He's like, it was essentially, it was so bad, and he was terrible, and yada, yada, yada. You guys, you guys get my drift. And it is said that he went one time, and he took a guitar, and he went to a crossroads in Mississippi. There was two crossing roads and went. And uh, he essentially, at the crossroads, was, uh, crossroads, sold his soul to the devil. It said that he took the guitar, tuned it, and uh, said, you know, I will give you my soul, but I want to be the greatest blues musician to have ever lived. That thing took place approximately six to eight months past the time that he was plunking around in that, in that club. And he went back, and he became the father of modern rock, and blues music became the greatest blues guitar player who ever lived now can you gain that skill in six to eight months i'm gonna say not likely it's interesting now look at some of the songs that he wrote here's a list of them do i have a list of them up there maybe i'll read them to you if i don't one is called me and the devil blues well that's it okay i didn't put it up there me and the devil blues it says if i had possession over judgment day hellhound on my trail and Crossroad Blues. Now, does that sound like normal songs that a guy would write? Not necessarily. Like I said, he died mysteriously at age 27. They don't know why he died. He just died mysteriously. They did make a movie about it, if you put that thing back up there. Okay? It's telling the story. It's called Crossroads. It was in the 80s. You guys recognize that guy, Ralph Macchio? Karate Kid? Nobody? I tried to do the kick, but we may have to end service early. But you can see standing here at the crossroads. I mean, the, the whole premise of the movie is that instead of, it's a woman that shows up, but she was, she was there, and she was the demon. Sells a soul to the devil. Now, that may sound crazy, okay? That thing has been referenced in, Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? There's a reference to it then. There was also a TV show called Supernatural. It was out several years ago. I don't know if it's still on or not. Um, a lot of demonic stuff that was going on in that show as far as that. They were demon hunters, essentially. And they talk about the crossroads demon. And how they would make deals. And he would get contracts signed with people who would sell their soul so that they could be great. Now, 
How many of you guys believe me so far? How many of you guys think, this sounds crazy. Nobody actually does this. Okay? Well, this is modern. Like I said, this was back in the 2030s range. I just don't remember exactly. But let me show you something else. Let me, I, go to the next, next thing. This is called The Tragic History of the Life and Death of Dr. Faustus. Okay? This is a 16th century English play. How many of you guys have seen it, read it, heard it? Anybody? You guys don't spend a lot of time on 16th century English plays? I'm surprised by that. I really am. Well, here's the premise of it. He's a brilliant and successful scholar, and he had to have more, and he did not want to be limited by a simple human knowledge. So he summoned a devil to ask for supreme knowledge and power so that he could enjoy all that this world has to offer. So Satan comes, and his demon, and the demon's name was, I'm going to attempt to pronounce Mephistopheles, and he tells him that he can have supreme knowledge and power for 24 years, but he must surrender his soul for eternity. And for 24 years, he lives in luxury, he seduces women, he travels the world, and he summons spirits as his knowledge begins to grow. Now, the point of this was to put it in a, a version that people would consume to warn against this type of activity. Now, why would a 16th century English playwright decide we need to do something to tell people not to do this if it wasn't going on? What I'm showing you is this is nothing new. Okay? Now, look at this image. You can clearly see the demon. You can see a cross here with a symbol on it. There's a symbol up here. These are books. Okay? Some sort of a birdcage. But look at all these symbols. Okay, you see that? Those are all occultic symbols. Those types of symbols are all around us today. We just don't know what we're looking at. When I... Uh, and, and, and just by ways of, of just like letting the cat out of the bag, I want you guys to understand where I'm coming from with this. When I was young, I was obsessed with the occult. I was not a practicing occultist, mind you. But the idea of supernatural power and abilities fascinated me from my junior high days. And I would often go to our public library and check out books on ESP, guys that could do things, telekinesis with their mind, bending spoons and all that kind of stuff. I was just obsessed with ufology and aliens. I was obsessed with this, which led me on this path of discovering demonic symbols and all of that. And I remember being, I was either in junior high or very early in my high school age, going to my youth pastor and saying, would you teach on these different demonic symbols and what they mean and why they're out there? You know what his response was? Absolutely not. But I was very fascinated with it. Now, I wasn't practicing any of, it, any of it, but I was fascinated with it enough that at that point in time, I had a more than average education in the world because I really believed it was real. It wasn't just stuff that people did. Like, I really believed people could bend things with their mind. I really believed that little green men from outer space were coming down and abducting people. I never once considered what Scripture had to say on it. And unfortunately for my parents... They weren't stopping me from checking these books out. So I could go to the library at any time and check these things out. I didn't read a lot, but I read those. I was so fascinated with it. It gave me a benefit as I was getting older because I began to recognize some of the signs on these things and the things around me. And I'll give you one example of this. When I was a freshman in high school, I, uh, uh, I was a drummer, as you guys know, and, uh, and uh, I was really starting to get good at it. And... Um, 
But we had this senior there, and he was a great drummer, and I really looked up to him, and I, I was learning from him. And he'd say, to him, like, man, if you want to you wanna learn, like, hear some of the best drumming you ever had, or you ever hear, get the CD by Dream Theater, the band. And um, he's, like, one of the best drummers to ever live. I don't know who Dream Theater is, but I looked up to this guy. So I ordered them from my Columbia House subscription. You guys remember that? 99 cents, 15 DVDs, total shtick, and then you're stuck for the rest of your life. I'm pretty sure I've got it canceled at this point. I'm not 100% sure. But in comes those CDs, and I'm so excited, and I open it up real quickly, and I put it in, and it was music I wouldn't necessarily normally listen to, but I was interested in the drummer because I could hear the cadence and the beats that he was doing and all that. And as I'm looking at the album cover, I noticed a symbol similar to one of these. I don't remember what it looked like, but it was just kind of hidden in the bottom. It was in the artwork. And I noticed that, and I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. I wonder why that's there. Because... You just had musicians. They were just musicians. It was no big deal. And so as I'm looking at that, I started to do a little research, and I realized that much of the music scene was practicing occultists, and their worldview was injected into their music, in their music videos, and things as such. And I realized that, and I realized these guys essentially are demon worshipers. Now, I can't tell you anything about them personally. But you know what I did with those CDs as soon as I realized that? I got rid of them. Now, I wasn't the smartest freshman in high school ever, but I knew I didn't want any part of that because I had no idea what could happen. Because I really believed that these things were possible, and therefore I didn't want to mess with any bad voodoo. Okay? Now, I know that seems weird, and I know it seems a little out of the ordinary, but this is stuff that's going on. So I've showed you Robert Johnson, and then I've gone back in time and I've shown you the idea and the concept was nothing new. So this is not a new concept, okay? But I want to show you guys some of the guys that have admitted to this type of behavior through the years. So we're going to do pick a, a short list of these in the music industry just to show you. And some of this you're going to hear from their own mouths, okay? So just bear with me today. I promise it, it, it'll be worth it, I, I hope. But I want you to see it. A guy named John Lennon. How many of you guys are familiar with him? Right? Now, this, most of you guys uh, that are slightly older than I am maybe grew up listening to the Beatles, and, and for the most part, it kind of seemed they were just run-of-the-mill, average musician. It was no big deal. But in an interview with John Lennon one time, they asked, what was the key to the band's success? You know what his response was? I'm giving a condensed version of this. I sold my soul to the devil. Those are the words he used. Now, when we hear that, we often think, oh, it's just hyperbole. But what if he really meant it? Well, it's interesting. If you look at the Sar Sergeant Pepper's album cover, okay? You guys remember this? How many of you guys got the vinyl record when this came out? Do you remember? You don't want to admit it now because you're like, well, wait, he sold the soul of the devil. I don't want to have anything to do with that. Well, you see these different people in here, okay? No big deal. There's some different stuff. It's kind of weird artwork. Some of these people you may recognize. Some of these people you may not. You guys recognize that guy there? That's Karl Marx. Um, you know, not a great guy. But if you look up here in the left-hand corner, you see this picture. In fact, I, I, I zoomed in on it so you can see a little bit. Do you guys know who that guy is? That's Aleister Crowley. Now, Aleister Crowley was a well-known practicing occultist. In fact, I got another picture of him here so you can see it. He's considered the father of modern Satanism. Now, why would he be on that album cover? It's interesting. It's also interesting that if you look at the line, it says, it was 20 years to go today, Sergeant Peppers taught the band to play. 
That came out in 1967. Aleister Crowley died in 1947. I don't know. But as you guys know, John Lennon had a wife. Okay. Yoko Ono. Then she just looked creepy. I want you to read you. She was a well-known occultist. Very much into this and took John down the, the rabbit trail even further than what he was. Here's, here's some of the quotes from her. It says, Finally, it was time to consummate all these spells by making a living sacrifice and signing a pact with the devil. For Lena, who was the witch that she hired, was not a white witch. She was a real, the real thing, a practitioner of black magic. There was no knowing what she planned to do to seal the bond with Lucifer. All she would say was the witch's moon was nigh and they had to make ready for the sacrifice. So Lena says, we've got to make a sacrifice with the blood of an innocent to the one who has the power. Now, what is the innocent? Could it be an animal? It's possible. I don't know. You know how much Yoko paid her? $60,000 performance. But here's the quote. But my joy is when you're like possessed, like a medium, you know. I'll be sitting around and it'll come in the middle of the night or at a time when you don't want to do it. That's the exciting part. I don't know the whole expletive wrote it. I'm just sitting here and the whole expletive song comes out. This is John talking. So it, you're like driven and you find yourself over on a piano or a guitar and you put it down because it's been given to you or whatever it is you tune into. This is John talking about writing songs. This is what we kind of call automatic writing where they kind of go into a trance and the song just kind of comes out. Okay? Now, I'm going through this quickly. Just so you know, we could literally go throughout history and spend weeks doing this. We're going quick. All right? Uh, I've got a video here. With, make sure you turn the volume up on this because it's a little soft. But this is from Bob Dylan, okay? Good old Bob Dylan. Go ahead. Why do you still do it? Why are you still out here? Well, it goes back to the destiny thing. You know, I made a bargain with it, you know, a long time ago, and I'm holding up my hand. What was your bargain? To get where uh, I am now. Should, should I ask who you made the bargain with? <laughs> with, 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 you know, with the chief, uh, chief commander. On this earth? <laughs> and on this earth and in, uh, and then in a world we can't see. You ever look at music that you've written and look back at it and say, whoa, that surprised me? I used to. Uh, I, I don't do that anymore. Uh, I don't know how I got to, to write those songs. What do you mean you don't know how? Those early songs were like almost magically written. Um, uh, Darkness at the break of noon, shadows even the silver spoon, handmade blade, a child's balloon. Eclipses both the sun and moon to understand you knew too soon there is no sense in trying. This Dylan classic, It's Alright Ma, was written in 1964. Peace the hollow horn, plays wasted words, proves to warn that he not busy being born is busy dying. Well, try to sit down and write something like that. Uh, that there's a magic to that. And it's not uh, Siegfried and Roy kind of magic. You know, it's a, it's a different kind of a penetrating magic. And, uh, you know, I did, it, I, I, I did it at one time. You don't think you can do it today? Uh-huh. Does that disappoint you? Well, you can't do something forever, and uh, I did it once, and I can do other things now, but I, I, I can't do that. It's interesting. Okay? Now, 
oftentimes when people hear that made a deal with the devil or whatever, they think it's hyperbole. But did that seem like hyperbole? Seemed like a man that was saying the quiet part out loud, didn't it? Now, when you think of Bob Dylan, do you think of practicing occultists and Satanists? Child sacrificing and all of the above? No. How many of you guys listened to Bob Dylan music back in the day? Or maybe still do. Or maybe change your mind after this. I don't know. But I mean, you think about it. When we think of satanic music, we think screamo metal, all that kind of stuff. Like there's a laundry list, uh, a Marilyn Manson type thing. Like, But sometimes it's not so obvious. Okay? Well, here's another one. Michael Jackson. Okay? Now, this one may not shock you completely. Okay? Not little Michael when he was cute and singing ABCs and all that kind of stuff. But it was talking about him and some of the things that he would do. And he said he was, sit, he was definitely into the occult. Uh, it was well known that he was into the occult. He was into crystals and different things like that. He would sit in a room that was full of mirrors. And he would sit in there and meditate so that he could contact spirits. And he said he gets most of his songs when he sleeps. So he's always about sleeping. And he said he'd go to sleep a lot because that's where he received a lot of his songs. It was called through channeling. And he told a partner of his that he needed to, uh, to go to bed to get a song. Because if he doesn't get the song, God is going to give it to Prince instead of him. It's a quote from one of his partners. So, you know, again, quiet part out loud. Now, this has never been hidden. We just choose to dismiss it because we, we kind of like some of their songs. And I'm not saying their songs aren't good or enjoyable. I'm just saying, like, is this somebody that we want as a part of our life? Because that stuff creeps into our world. Well, here's another one. Kurt Cobain. You guys, our band Nirvana. Okay? Now, he committed suicide early on, but he was heavily in involved in witchcraft. He talked about channeling entities. And his one goal is he wanted to get in touch with Anton LaVey because he wanted to do music with him. If you don't know who Anton LaVey is, I've got a picture of him here, I believe. He is the founder of the Satanic Church. Okay, he wrote the Satanic Bible. As a matter of fact, they wrote that Bible where you guys were at, right? That's what we found out. What was the name of that town? Manitou Springs, Colorado. When they went out to a camp, they were out there. They found out, it's just a small little town, but it's really cool that that's where he was when he wrote the satanic bible okay there's a picture of him in the eagle song hotel california you can see him up and you can check out but never leave you can see him pictured in that album cover now why would you want to do music with him now he would present the satanic church as more of not actually worshiping satan but it was more of a, just a rebellious thing you'll actually hear that said today of the church of satan they're just rebelling against the christianization of the country you know, just more of a free spirit, because do what thou wilt is the whole of the law. That is the crux of the Satanic Bible. That came from Aleister Crowley. But uh, one of the women who was in the Manson family, okay, who was close to Anton LaVey, in a confession that she made said, yeah, he says that, but there is a lot of sacrifice being made. He is literally worshiping the devil. Now, it's a lot more eloquent than what I just said, because I'm trying to do this fairly quickly, okay? So, Kurt Cobain's one. How about Katy Perry? Okay, another name that you're familiar with. Since she grew up Christian, grew up in a Christian home, and that she, uh, she, uh, her family were ministers, and they would travel a lot. She wanted to be the next Amy Grant. Now, in an interview that she did one time, she talked about how she can never stay single for long because she carries a rose quartz, and it attracts a lot of men to her. And she talked about, maybe I need to, uh, like, calm it down with some amethyst, like mixing these different oils and crystals and all that kind of stuff. But here's a short video from her. Go ahead. You're doing really well now, but didn't you release a CD like almost 10 years ago? Um, yeah, I mean, I released a gospel record when I was 15 um, because I grew up in uh, you know, a household where all I ever did was listen to gospel music, and my parents are both traveling ministers. And so I kind of sang about 
you know, what was going on in my life at 15, and that's how I got introduced to the music industry. I swear I wanted to be like the Amy Grant of music, yeah. <laughs> but it didn't work out, and so I sold my soul to the devil. Interesting. Now, is that just a phrase that she's using? I don't know, maybe, but it is well known that she is into occultic behavior. So, again, do with it what you want. I'm not trying to come down on anybody that maybe you like their music. I think we just need to be aware of what's going on around us. Well, here's another guy, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time on him. It's Jay-Z. Now, if you know anything or you've listened to anything, this man is not hiding his occultic practice. He claims to be possessed by spirits. It's given him the power and the abilities and the skill sets and all that kind of stuff. I'm only bringing him up to get to the next person, which is Beyonce. Okay? Now, Beyonce has a number of hits, but she talks about time and time again that I have an out-of-body experience on stage. If I cut my leg, if I fall, I don't even feel it. I'm so fearless, I'm not aware of my face or my body. Now, you could say that that's just the adrenaline that's going on when you're on stage, and that is possible, okay? Because that kind of stuff does happen. You hear about different things when somebody's got an extreme amount of adrenaline going, and that can happen in front of a big crowd, and you're playing a stage, and they're you know, screaming your name and all that. That's not impossible. But Kimberly Thompson, who was her drummer for seven years, says this about her. I worked for her as a, her drummer for her band for seven years. She's into extreme witchcraft and dark magic. Now, she has no reason to say any of that if it were not so. But I want you to watch what, she, this is a video of her. I want you to watch what she says because there's somebody that she calls Sasha Fierce. And they say it's just an identity that she takes on because it gives her the ability to actually step out on stage and do things. But watch what she says here. Watch carefully. Go ahead. When I performed Crazy in Love at the BT Awards, it was almost like my coming out. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for my girl, Beyonce! Yes. I was very nervous. So crazy right now. Of course. Most incredible. And I remember when they told me I was performing on BT. In my mind, I saw the set immediately. I said, I want something big. I want something that says I'm here. Beyonce. <laughs> and I, I, I drew it out. I drew out the ramp. I drew out the, the boxes for me and my girls. I drew out the lift right in the O. It just so happened that an O was right in the center of my name for me to come down. I knew the dance. I knew about the pumps. I saw all of that in my head before it happened. And it's, it's great when you visualize something and it actually comes to life. Come on! One more time! When I talk to my friends, oh, Wiley, who even here? Look at what you do for me. Tennis shoes don't even need to buy a new dress. If you ain't there, ain't nobody else to it was way better than, than I expected, and Sasha was in full effect. Sasha is my alter ego. And when people see me, sometimes I think that when they meet me and they speak with me, they're expecting Sasha. And um, I'm really kind of shy, and not really shy, but more reserved and um, Nothing like Sasha. But 
I guess I wouldn't be very entertaining on the stage. So Sasha comes out <laughs> and she's fearless. You know, she can she can do things that I cannot do when I'm in rehearsal. I mean, I can try, but then it just doesn't happen. I can sing notes and sing strong and do all these things that when I'm just by myself, I can't do. And I remember right before I performed, I raised my hands up and it was kind of the first time I, I felt something else come into me and I knew that was going to be my coming out night for the BET Awards. So she lifts up her hands and felt something come in her and she takes on this whole new personality. But she's quiet, but Sasha possesses. Sasha's fearless. She talks about it constantly. I mean, she's not hiding this. She says it's her alter ego. And again, it's the combination of things that I'm trying to show you. I know this is not ordinary, but this is stuff that's been in front. Now, how many of you guys have recognized this from before? How many of you guys have watched any of maybe a halftime show and seen the different occultic imagery or the Grammy Awards? I mean, it's becoming more and more blatant. There's somebody called Doja Cat. I don't know if you've heard of her or him or whatever. I don't even know what it is. I mean, it's pretty obvious. And what happens is, and that's why I'm showing you guys this, is what happens is, is many times these artists will come in innocently and young, and then they transform as they get older. Now, is that by design, or is it the fact that maybe they get into some of these practices? Little Nas X is a perfect example of that. He came out with that song, Old Town Road. is being sang in elementary schools, okay? The short while after that song just goes crazy, takes off, it's being sang everywhere. It's a catchy tune, okay? He comes out with some video where he's giving Satan a lap dance, that he's a practicing uh, a Satanist, and he has shoes designed by Nike with uh, human blood in them and 666 on them and all, I mean, all that stuff. How do you go from Old Town Road, if you're familiar with the song, to lap dances with Satan. I don't know. Is it by design? Is it possible that he was like this the entire time and by design you get in there innocently and everybody loves your stuff and now you're influenced by this other? Maybe. Is it possible that he came in innocently and was innocent until he was in the industry and then it transformed him? Because everybody who does music does it because they want to become a big deal. Most of the time, I should say, not everybody. Now, I'm going to show you another video here. Now, this is a few minutes long. This is from uh, America's Got Talent a few years ago. Now, I actually showed this to some of y'all that were here on a Sunday morning because when I watched this happen, it was like, holy cow, what just took place? Again, when you're aware of this stuff, you become hyper-aware to some of the nuances in it, and you begin to recognize the sign. Now, this is a little young girl. I think she's 12 or 13 years old. And you watch, she's going to come out, she's very soft-spoken, and then watch what happens when the music starts. Go ahead. I'm going to talk over this as we, as we go. You might turn it up a bit. Hi, my lovely. Hi. Welcome to America's Got Talent. How are you? Um, a little bit nervous. That's okay to be nervous. It's totally You can see how quiet and name? shy and reserved Courtney. she is. And how old are you? Thirteen. Thirteen. Oh, wow. um, what's your favorite subject in school? Music. What kind of music? I don't know. <laughs> you're very sweet. And I'm guessing you're going to be singing for us? Yeah. Listen, don't be nervous. I know this is a big stage and there's lots of people here. 
but you're here for a reason, so go for it and good luck. Thank you. Now watch what happens. And you'll notice that she's immediately shy again. And you go ahead and click out of this. But Howie, what did you think? She's got to oh get the golden gosh. buzzer just in you case you're You are not remember. from this era. You can click you're out of this. You're from a whole yeah. different era. So, I mean, now, what am I saying here? I am not saying that that is, I can guarantee or know for sure that that's what happened. It is fascinating to me. Because every person that I've ever seen interviewed describes that very same thing. That when the spirit takes control, they're like something that they are not normally. Not just in music, but anything. And, and I'll show you guys some actors and stuff in the weeks to come. But, but, but understand this. Like, it is like something just completely takes over, and they are not the same person anymore. That is what Beyonce just described, and that's similar to what we just saw. Now, again, I don't know this girl. Maybe, maybe it's nothing to her. Maybe she can just put on an act like better than anybody else. But it's interesting to me. That's all I'm saying. Now, let me show you another one. America's Sweetheart, Taylor Swift. Okay? I know, everybody loves Taylor Swift. She's the greatest thing ever. So after this latest concert tour, there's a lot of people that were claiming there was a bizarre thing that was going on where they get amnesia, that they would not know what was going on. And I'm going to read out of one of these articles. They said that it was during an hour-long wait to leave the stadium. She was looking back at the set list and realized she couldn't remember if the Cruel Summer singer had actually played many of the songs. She said, if I didn't have the five-minute video that my friend kindly took of me jamming to Better Man, I don't know any of these songs, I probably would have told everyone that uh, it didn't happen. She admitted the Swift songs of the evening. Now, another fan, a gal from Pennsylvania who was at the concert then, she said, I, I know I went. She said it was like an out-of-body experience and it didn't happen to me. She's like, I know I went because my bank account took a $950 hit to cover the ticket. But she didn't remember any of the things that happened there. Now, what does that mean? Could it just be extreme enthusiasm? It's possible, okay? It's weird. It's not normal. But it's not impossible, so we'll leave that up as a possibility. But there was people that talked about different things, and, and people that I know who researched this stuff, saying that there was a cultic um, 
what would you call it, things going on on stage. Almost like, what's the word? I can't even think of the word. Um, like a seance, but not a seance. Something along those lines. A practice. Now, I don't know, okay? Now, what I do know is she started off very sweet little girl back in the mid to the early 2000s. I don't remember when she kind of came big. And you've watched this progress, uh, cycle progress by time. She's got a song out called Karma. I'm going to put some of the lyrics up here for you. Oh, yeah, I forgot about this. Um, this was from, I, I don't even remember what song this was. But look, she says, witches be like, sometimes I just want to listen to music while pining away, sulking, staring out a window. It's me. I'm witches. Never fear. The Willow Lonely Witch remix is here. Now, why did she say that? Is it because she's a practicing witch? Those who know more about this than me said all the signs are there that she is a practicing witch. Now, could this just be to promote a song? It could be. It's not impossible, right? Because you'll say about anything to promote the song. Because it's not like she doesn't make money from these types of things, okay? So that's possible. But look at these lyrics. Karma. I had to uh, take some of them out, okay? You're talking blank for the blank of it, addicted to betrayal, but you're relevant. You're terrified to look down because if you dare, you'll see the glare of everyone you burn just to get there. It's coming back around and I keep my side of the street clean. You wouldn't know what I mean because karma is my boyfriend. Karma is a god, little g. Karma is the breeze in my hair on the weekend. Karma is a relaxing thought. Aren't you envious that for you it's not? Sweet like honey, karma is a cat purring in my lap because it loves me. Flexing like a GD acrobat, me and karma vibe like that. She doesn't sound so sweet and innocent anymore. Now, she's bringing up karma. Well, what is karma? Well, karma comes from like a Buddhist faith or a Hindu faith, and it is believed to be a god. Like, we treat karma like, well, they got their own. It's the reap what you sow principle, but karma actually is a god that is worshipped. Now, is she saying the quiet part out loud? A lot of people think she is. I don't know her personally, but I know that with lyrics like that, is that somebody that I want influencing my children or my life in any way? Probably not. Same with all of these other people. Because the worldview of the person bleeds through what they do. And if this is something that they're using as a part of magic, is it possible that that can affect my life? It's possible. Now, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just telling you what is out there. And we could do more and more and more. But I'm going to show you one last one because this is one that I, uh, I loved growing up when he came out with this album. It's a man named Santana. Okay? Santana came out with an album back in the, the mid to late 90s. Uh, it was called Supernatural, and it was phenomenal. He teamed up with all of these main, like, big singers at that time. He plays the guitar, and he was a phenomenal guitar player. And it was so fun to listen to. It was so good that my youth pastor actually was the one who showed me it. He was a guitar player, and he was a phenomenal guitar player. He's like, man, you need to check this out. This is so good, okay? Now, I didn't know this at the time because, again, I was still green in some of this stuff, but I've recognized it now. So it says, during his time of meditation in 1994, he was taken over by a transcendental spirit. Now, this is him telling a story. He was made to grab a yellow legal pad and start automatic writing whatever he was channeling from his being. He said, it's kind of like a fax machine. This was an article in Rolling Stones magazine. It turns out it was the new age character named the Archangel Metatron, who can heal you with his love through the transmissions of the spiritual radio. And it was to be Santana's mission to rebroadcast the spiritual radio to the children of the world. Metatron told Santana explicitly, you will be inside the radio frequency for the purpose of connecting the molecules with the light. Now, before I go on, Metatron. Who is Metatron? Well, Metatron has a symbol called Metatron's Cube. I think I got a picture of it. 
okay? This is called Metatron's cube. Doesn't tell you who it is, but this is a symbol. Ironically, it looks very, very similar to the Enneagram, Enneagram that has become so mainstream here lately if you've done any kind of leadership stuff. Now, there are differences, and I'm not saying that they are one and the same, but it is ironic that they look very, very similar. But who is Metatron? Well, Metatron is named as one of the archangels, the fallen angels, in the book of Enoch. If you've read the book of Enoch, you will see that it gives a, a much clearer picture of the Genesis 6 story. I'm not saying that it's scripture or should be. It's not. But it's, it's a background story, certainly something that they believed in at the time of, uh, of scripture because Jesus quoted it, Jude quotes it. There's, there's quotes of it in scripture. It doesn't make it canonical. But it names Metatron as one of the fallen angels. Well, who is he claiming to talk to? Metatron. It says Metatron is the architect of physical life. So what kind of album was it be? Well, it was in this interview that he talks about. He says, I know it sounds new age, but in my meditation, this entity, which is called Metatron, he said, we want to hook you back on the radio airway frequency. We want you to reach junior high school, high schools, and universities. Once you reach them, because we are going to connect you with the best artists of the day, then we want you to present them a new menu. Now, understand, he'd been around since the 70s and 80s, and it kind of just went by the wayside, aged out a little bit, and then all of a sudden, somewhere in the mid-90s, I don't remember where this happened, he just is mainstream again. He takes off huge. He says, let them know that they are themselves multi-dimensional spirits with enormous possibilities and opportunities. We want you to present them with a new form of existence that transcends religion, politics, or the modus operandi of education today. Okay? So that's the goal. Get the young people. Okay? Now, if you're thinking biblically, does, that, does it line up biblically with some of the stuff that we see as the temptation of the enemy and how he would use the false prophets and the false teachers and all to bring something new to the table? Absolutely. Here's another quote. I heard this entity wanted me to know that I would be hooked up with the right writers, musicians, and producers for the purpose of reaching high school and college kids. So my inner instructions were clear. Eric Clapton wanted to know if he could play on my album. All the people who played on the record said that they heard my music before I called them or that I appeared in their dreams or something. They, know, they knew what was coming before they got the call. Isn't that interesting? Okay. He talks about that he was channeling music from the same spirit that Jimi Hendrix was. He said, there's an invisible radio that Jimi Hendrix and Coltrane tuned into. And when you go there, you start channeling other music. You meditate, and you got the candles, you got the incense, and you've been chanting. And all of a sudden, you hear his voice, write this down. Isn't that interesting? Album blew up. It was a huge success. I listened to it about 100 times. Probably a Columbia House CD. I'm sure of that. Got a heck of a deal on it. See, I mean, I'm showing you guys this, and these are just a small, small, small sampling. But in 1 Timothy chapter 4, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Is it possible that the enemy is using music and those in music to lead his people astray, God's people? Of course it is. It's nothing new. This is why we have to be so discerning this, is it possible that this avenue is what could lead somebody astray? What you call harmless entertainment or what they believe doesn't really matter. What if in their concerts, in their music, if you look at their music videos, I mean, with, with Taylor Swift as an example, you can see 
some of the satanic imagery in some of her music videos, one of which is in what looks like hell, and there's demons all around her, and she takes off the mask of a demon, and it's her. Now, is that just harmless, I mean, good fun entertainment? I don't know. You have to use your own discernment. But what I'm saying is we need to be aware of what's around us. We are in a world that has this stuff going on all the time, and we are just blind to it. And if the enemy can keep us blind to it, he can suck us into it, and we'll begin to, a millimeter at a time, walk away from him. We're put on this earth to produce fruit. The enemy wants to keep that from happening. You guys with me? I know that was a lot. I don't even know what time it is. Let's pray. I'll get at, we'll get out of here. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true. We thank you that we can lean on everything. And Lord, I just ask that you open our eyes to the reality of the world around us, that we'll begin to see these things in light of what they really are. That not everything is as it seems, Lord, but we have discernment to know what is happening, that we can make wise decisions to be better used by you and closer to you because you are all that matters. Lord, we just thank you for that and we give you glory. It's in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you guys. See you all this, this Friday.